0: Let's Talk Monsters. I'm Mike. I'm Awesome. And in today's episode, we wanted to give you part one of our Rob Zombie analysis of, um, or analyses of House of a Thousand Corpses and Devil's Rejects. And are we going to do on the third one? I can't remember. What's the third one called?
1: Three from Hell or something like that.
0: And Three from Hell. Anyway, so today's uh, podcast is going to be on the first movie, of course, which is House of a Thousand Corpses. This movie is definitely... A good movie. I mean, there's a lot of good things to say about this film. One of the things that really I forgot, because I last time I saw it was when it first came out, which was in like 2001, right? Is it like 2001?
1: Yeah, I think it's 2002.
0: 2002. And uh, I watched it again recently to, you know, refresh my memory. And... I kind of forgot how bad some of the acting is in this movie. I mean, it's, like, really bad. Oh,
1: no, I kind of like it.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's almost like, is it spoofing? Like, you you kind of wonder. Since Like, the scene at the beginning when those robbers are coming in and robbing Sid Haig's store. It's just, okay, this is a joke, right? And maybe it is, you know? That being said, the scenes with Sid Haig and uh, Karen Black are extremely strong. I mean, so it's one of those films where it depends on who's in the scene as to, like, how good the acting is. Let's put it that way. And the scenes where the acting isn't very good, you just have to scratch your head and say, okay, well, maybe that's intentional or something like that.
1: Yeah, I feel like it's... This movie, Ryan see a lot of creep show in the way where it's, like, it's kind of comic booky. The characters are very, like, character, you know what I mean? Like, they're not trying to be, like realistic everyday people also colors because there's a lot of like bright extreme colors, especially red and blue which is another thing creep show uses so yeah it's all there you know um and yeah it definitely has It's like at least half comedy it's pretty funny even though it's so gory and everything
0: yeah i mean and i don't mean to say you know with the acting is bad is it like that means it's a bad movie and don't watch it like i said i mean I think it's a good movie. I mean, (laughs) and to go continue with that theme, there's really no plot either. So it's really just kind of a collage film. And that's something else that I forgot about. You know, these people get snared into a web and they wind up at the mercy of this deranged family. Oh, and by the way, this this is also the continuation of our deranged family series. So I just wanted to. Mention that I think I forgot to mention that at the beginning, and then that's pretty much it. I mean, they once they get captured, there's pretty much no hope for them. They're all going to get killed in one way or another. Yeah,
1: it's just about seeing like how they get killed, right? And all (laughs) the stuff this family does like on display. Yeah, and yeah, it's literally like a collage because there's parts where there's just like random cutaways, and it'll just be like baby dancing or like Otis just like saying something to the camera, almost kind of like MTV or something. So. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's really very collagey. And I like it because Rob Zombie is pretty much the same age I am. And he obviously grew up with all of the same stuff. I did all it was into all of the same monster movies I can tell that's why I like his stuff I'm surprised there wasn't a scene with Aurora monster models and some of the other stuff that we had when we were kids yeah
1: maybe it was in the background (laughs) yeah I
0: mean it's like they,
1: they have universal monsters in the movie
0: yeah exactly I mean he's really all I can say is that I'm jealous of the guy because you know he he had a successful music career and then he was able to make monster movies in the way that you know pays homage to my generation us early Gen Xers and the stuff that we grew up with in the late 60s and 70s. And it definitely has that vibe to it. I mean, he's definitely doing a 1970s thing. I mean, the the film is set in 1970, what? Seven, I think. 77, Yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, but what I'm saying is if you're expecting a movie that has like a plot and good dialogue and solid acting all the way through, that this isn't that film. I mean, this is very herky-jerky. But I love the collage aspect. I love the inserts that he puts in there. I mean, the scene where Baby's going to the liquor store. Yeah, so
1: random. (laughs) And it's just cutting to that
0: weird, like, what I think to be a snuff film. It could just be like a 50s or 60s porno film. But it's, it's just so effectively done. I mean, the energy of the movie is great, you know. And then some of the other cutaways towards the end of the movie when they're you know, when they're showing you the tunnels underneath the house. And there's just all of this weird sort of, it's almost like mad gods, you know. I wonder if Phil Tippett, you know, was inspired a little bit in his animation with some of the stuff that happens in House of a Thousand Corpses at the end, because isn't like the main villain have that same kind of uh, gas mask? Thing yeah. Or? Well, the
1: thing about the the yeah, the very end. It's funny because the whole rest of the movie is like all Texas Chainsaw, you know, like very like low tech basically. But then at the end, when they go underground, there's like a little bit of like steampunk, like almost like post-apocalyptic stuff. But like because the yeah, there's this guy Dr. Satan. He's the one everyone's looking for, but I think they think he's, like, just a legend or something like that. But it turns out he's real and he's, like, so decrepit his arms are being held up by these, like, metal these metal braces that are attached to the ceiling or something. And then, yeah, the main, I guess, quote-unquote, main villain at the end is, like, the father of the family, but he looks like the Metaluna mutant or something. Like, yeah, he has a gas mask on and he has, like, goggles and then he takes the gas mask off and he just has, like, this, like, insect mouth. So that's weird, you know? (laughs) Yeah, I
0: mean, it really just gets... It starts to really go into a few different directions towards the end, but it doesn't ruin the movie for me. I mean, I would say that that ending is kind of like my least favorite because it gets away too much from the parodying of Texas Chainsaw and Last House on the Left and the stuff from the 70s, which he's obviously parodying and trying to remake a movie of those films. But what I love about what he does is, this is a very semiotic thing. It's almost as if the characters in the movie know that they are parodying the earlier movies from the 70s, so that's Sort of built into the way that they project themselves you know what i'm saying like it's not yeah. it's not a first layer like if you watch last house on the left or texas chainsaw massacre that's done for real You know what I mean? Like the actors and everything, it's you're led to believe that these kids don't know what they're getting themselves into and they wind up getting murdered by this, these deranged families and so on and so forth. But in Rob Zombie's film, it's like a wink and he's saying, well, we all know what this is based on. Right. But then he doesn't do like a straight up remake where all of the characters, even the victims and everyone are playing it for keeps. Everyone knows that there's sort of like a joke to it. You know, that it's like...
1: Yeah, that's where a lot of the comedy comes from. And it also extends to the cops, too. The cops are, like, very cartoony.
0: And once again, probably done more so for laughs, but is still just very effective. The longest scene... Of a gun being held to someone's head, <laughs> as the camera just pans out slowly. <laughs> it's, that is so 70s. That is so great. I yeah, mean, and the
1: colors and everything.
0: There's a scene in um, in this movie called The Verdict, which is not a horror film. Stars Paul Newman. It's one of his best films, if not his best film, in my opinion. He didn't win the Oscar. He should have. It came out in 1980, I think. So it's still to me that still counts as the 70s. But there's a scene in it where. It's like one of the most important scenes in the film, and it's a long shot. It's actually done from the camera set up like across the street in New York City, and you just see Paul Newman's body reaction to when his partner tells him this very important thing about this film, this sort of key moment. So there's no dialogue. All you hear is like cars going by, and you just see from a distance, you can just see how pissed off Paul Newman is.
1: Yeah, that's like in real life if you see like into somebody's window or something, you see two people like arguing and you can't hear it, but you know, like basically the gist, you know?
0: Yeah, and for whatever reason, Hollywood has really gotten away from that. I I just call it the long shot. You used to use it a lot. Sometimes you just don't need dialogue. The director, I think it's Sidney Lumet, he just says, express yourself bodily in this. This has to be, we don't even need to see your face really. It's just sort of like just the anguish of finding this thing out is gonna be projected via your body language.
1: Yeah, it's like silent film.
0: Yeah, and so, you know, all this stuff that Hollywood is, in my opinion, has gone into a direction that obviously I don't like. You can tell from the tone of my voice. <laughs> but the fact that Rob Zombie, even though this was 2002, he's still making films like this even today. And, I, and thank God, you know, that somebody gets it and they understand the importance of no dialogue. And you can just have a scene where, you know, this really evil guy is holding a gun to someone's head and you know what's going to happen.
1: Yeah, well, not <laughs> not to mention the whole scene is like, a musical scene there's not i don't think there's any sound because you it's just like the music playing and then that's the end of the song is like the long shot
0: right yeah and that's fine and the music is great you know yeah uh the other thing i wanted to mention about this film is just once again how it pays homage to the old haunted house rides that we used to have at the carnival because uh sid hags what's the name of his place it's the mu- music oh,
1: captain, captain spaulding's museum <laughs> of um Monsters and Mad Men or something like that. Yeah.
0: (laughs) So it's a combination sort of uh horror wax museum, like or just, you know, horror figures on display, along with a little ride. You know that doesn't even work automatically. Like some guy actually has to push you yeah, from behind. Yeah, there's no.
1: It's like <laughs> it's like a roller coaster, or not a roller coaster, but like yeah, a ghost ride. That would be on tracks, but there's no tracks, so it's just like this like strong man, like pushing the cart from the back.
0: Yeah, it's pretty funny. <laughs> it's pretty funny, but we all know where that comes from. You know, for you know when I was a kid, like I said in our Halloween episode, and you know how these guys would come to town and they'd set up their carnival rides and everything. And, you know, it's not like that anymore, you know, because I think that whole generation just sort of passed away and then all of that really cool stuff just went away with them. Also, the fact that a lot of the rides in those days weren't safe and (laughs) no one wants to get sued anymore. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, so it has that. And then it has the, you know, the strange strange exhibits, you know, the man who's half man, half fish, the gorilla woman, you know, that kind of stuff. Like, that's also in this movie as well. So um, Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. And then there is, like, some stuff that is similar to the book Geek Love, which I don't know if it's, like, a direct ripoff or it's just, like, the same type of thing. But because once they go into the family's house, like, um, there's all these, like, like, I guess babies in jars and stuff like that. And it's, like, implied that these are, like, kids that the mom had, like, stillborn or something like that, which is straight out of that book. Like, basically in the book... There's, like, six kids that are, like, comprised the Freak Show. But then there's, like, ten babies in jars. They have, like, names and everything. And that's, like, they're just on display. You know, like, the whole thing is, like, for the circus. And then, yeah, they have that in here. Yeah, every single one of these uh, children in the family is, like, some type of oddity. Other than baby, I guess. But, you know, she's, like, a stripper. So that's, like, her, that's her way of uh, contributing.
0: <laughs> yeah, and so, you know, to f- wrap this up, you know, Rob Zombie does a great job of, Presenting this horror film that owes more to the '70s than anything else, and we know who the villains are. Uh, there's really no one to root for in this movie. There's no one's really very likable. I mean, as far as the victims are concerned. So maybe that's a little bit comes a little bit more from the '80s. The girl who almost gets away at the end. It's I'm not sad that you know she actually doesn't get away. <laughs> well, it's, we
1: hardly even know them. You know? Yeah.
0: The genius of this film also setting it up so well for the sequel, Devil's Rejects, because with Devil's Rejects, he's gonna up the ante a bit, I, I think by a couple clicks. And he's he's already built into these characters, the three main characters, Otis and Baby and Captain Spaulding. Yeah. yeah. And uh, he's already set them up because he puts enough in House of a Thousand Corpses into those characters, certain traits that they have that are gonna be really pivotal in the next movie and what he winds up doing with that. And we'll get there in part two of this. Bye. If you like this podcast, please subscribe. Leave us five stars and a review. Thanks.